0: Is Donald Trump trying to kill Ron DeSantis in the cradle? There's actually some evidence. I'm Matt Robison, Balance of Power Roundtable. We're on YouTube on the Blue Amp Channel. We're available as an audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Joined as always by Alicia Preston, our conservative commentator, analyst, and political consultant, and former Democratic U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes. All right, guys, hot off the presses. Our former fill-in guest, Michael Graham, New Hampshire Journal wrote up a piece saying he thinks he sees some evidence that Donald Trump is going for a kill shot. It's coming out of New Hampshire. Alicia, you're quoted as a political analyst in the article. You think it's happening. You see the evidence. What do you see?
1: Donald Trump has a political action committee, MAGA Inc. For those who are only listening, I just dramatically rolled my eyes. There used to be a criminal
0: (laughs) outfit, Murder Inc.,
1: Sounds the same. And they're running ads and they ran one before. And what they're doing is they're just attacking DeSantis, attacking their spokesperson, who is also based in New Hampshire, spends her life apparently on Twitter attacking, attacking, attacking. But it's not just attacking, it's mocking. I refer to the ads that they're airing as mockumentary ads because they're making fun of how he eats pudding and they're... Imitating this would be your bailiwick, Paul G and Putin. And it's just this silly, childish attack stream against DeSantis. And the question is why? And the reason is because they want to kill him initially. They need to come out of New Hampshire, not just winning because Trump will probably win New Hampshire, but with. Secondary candidate is what I think. And DeSantis appears to be, although I'm not convinced that's the case, the secondary candidate in the Republican Party. And if he or someone else can come out strong, then Donald Trump's got a battle in other states moving forward. And I think that what they're trying to do is stop it. What I find fascinating <clears throat> is that is the stupidest and childish strategy I've ever seen in my entire life, Came uh, determined by political strategists who forget that everybody else isn't a political junkie. In New Hampshire, a lot of people vote in the Republican primary. Independents vote in the Republican primary. People who watch news once a week vote in the Republican primary. Therefore, all Donald Trump and his MAGA Inc. is doing with their 100% name ID is giving Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, name ID that he didn't have before because he's not running yet and most people don't know who he is. So they're upping the name ID to mock him and they're getting Donald Trump not one additional vote but certainly making people wonder why Donald Trump is so focused on this guy from Florida, DeSantis. All
0: right. There was a lot in there. um, I have something silly and something serious. The silly thing, which is actually quite entertaining, is that what you're saying is that the Donald Trump strategy is essentially what Agent Smith said to Neo in The Matrix, which is that Mr. Anderson is the sound of inevitability. And that is what Donald Trump is going for here, right? He wants this to be an inevitability argument. I'm going to win. So Why even mess around? And he has to establish that early, meaning New Hampshire primary. So the theory here, if I'm following you, is if we manage to absolutely destroy Ron DeSantis early on, then that's it. There's no pathway at that point. He'll lose even the glimmer of electability, and there's no contest left. So they're going all in on that. Would you just explain for a second to our national listeners what you mean by a lot of people vote in the Republican primary. You're referring to the fact that people can vote in either primary here.
1: If you're a registered Republican, you vote in the Republican primary. If you're a registered Democrat, you vote in the Democratic primary. However, if you are one of 40 4% of registered voters in New Hampshire, you can choose which primary to vote in. That is a complete game changer for anyone running here. And it it is a determining factor on who gets a nomination. I'm laughing at national corporations who are polling New Hampshire Republicans and Donald Trump's got 58%. That's great. There are more independents than Republicans in New Hampshire. You might want to poll them if you want an honest look at where the state of New Hampshire is. And everyone's ignoring that, I guess, for headlines.
0: So what people need to understand is that when you have a year where there are competitive nominating contests in both parties, like we saw in 2008, for example, people make a decision about which one they'd rather vote in because, you know, which one they care more about. And Paul, you and I had the experience going all over New Hampshire in the 2008 presidential primary of people coming out you do it. You know what I'm thinking, right? Like people would come out and they'd say, Well, I was choosing between mm-hmm. McCain and Obama. And it's
2: because. It's McCain or Obama. And I'd say, What are you talking about? They both, they, they're both saying it like it is. They're both really authentic. I can't decide. It's McCain or Obama. I'd say, But wait a second. They, they're like off the charts, different in their policies. They make that. There's nothing. And they say, oh, No, that doesn't really matter. They're both, I like them. I like them I like both. Them both. Yeah, I like them both. It was
0: astonishing. And the plural of anecdote is data, but we got a freaking lot of anecdotes that day. And it's just, I just love that story because it's from such a different time, 15 years ago in American politics, where Mm -hmm. people could walk out of a polling booth and say, boy, Obama or McCain. And now could you just imagine? It's like, I'm trying to decide between Biden or Trump. There are
1: people that will, though. I mean, the thing about people here... 44% 44% are independent, and they say, yeah, but those aren't the people that vote in, in primaries, or they they think they're independent because they're aloof. That's not the case in New Hampshire anyway. That is not the case. These are people who absolutely vote. They participate in the process, and when you get a ballot and Republicans are on the left and Democrats are on the right, they're going back and forth between the two columns,
2: but choosing individually but- who they like. Remember, the independents are going into to whichever primary they want, and then they're coming out and
0: becoming. In the general election, yeah. Become, in the general, but to your point, Alicia, I mean, we just saw evidence of this in the 2022 midterms, where Maggie Hassan wins by nine points, Senator, U.S. Senator, Democrat, Maggie Hassan wins by nine points, and Republican Governor Chris Sanuna wins by how much? 15, 20? 15. By definition, there are people voting on both sides of their belt. They're voting for a Republican and a Democrat. That is the definition of a split ticket voter. And so there are people who will do that. And anyway, my my only point is that you've tapped into something interesting to me here, which is if you're coming in and polling New Hampshire or trying to get a sense of the vibe in New Hampshire in the Republican primary, if you're not paying attention to the independents, you're missing the boat. And a lot of those independents truly are swing voters. We can talk about the death and the disappearance of the swing voter, which is now estimated nationally to be anywhere between six and 9% of the total electorate, not as big as it used to be. But this is one area where New Hampshire is slightly different. And that's a dynamic you have to pay attention to in the primary. What Alicia was just arguing is that you run a risk when you're a political campaign. If you go on the attack Mm -hmm. against someone, you run the risk of using their name ID. And the argument that political consultants will make, and I remember this one like it was yesterday in 2008, was you had a relatively unknown opponent and you went on the attack in the mail early because you wanted to define her early. And that was the open question. So let me ask both of you, What do you think about that trade-off? Do you really think that you elevate people by attacking them early?
1: It depends what kind of coverage you get. You can, if someone doesn't, see, this is why the DeSantis-Trump thing is completely backwards. If you are the underdog, attack the big dog. Why? That's how you get your name out there. It's a way to get conversation. They know this person who's already in office. They don't know you. Attack that person. You attach yourself to that person. You get news coverage. You get comments now on social media, different than 15 years ago, and your name ID gets improvement. If you're you're Trump, talking
0: about punching up is, is punch what? Punch up, yeah. Punch, punch up.
1: up. If you're Donald Trump, why are you possibly looking at Ron DeSantis and elevating his name ID, particularly, as I said, in a state with 44% independents who have repeatedly rejected Donald Trump and maybe unhappy with the current administration, so want to support someone on the Republican side of the ticket. You're giving the guy who's a governor of Florida who most of those people haven't heard of Name ID. It it is an inferior strategy, we'll call
2: it. But if what we read or discern is true that DeSantis has been fading, then maybe Donald Trump is trying to just kill him in the cradle and put the, maybe he thinks he's got the finishing nails in the coffin. Maybe he, I won't go on.
0: but But is there going to be anything left for Trump to attack once Mickey Mouse is done with Ron DeSantis? Because Mickey Mouse is bleeping him up right now.
2: Mickey Mouse is coming for you, DeSantis.
1: Yeah, but look, there are very few people who are going to vote against Ron DeSantis because of a tax structure system in Florida. That's just not going to be why. Yeah, I'm sorry.
0: You're right. I fell asleep midway through that. No, No,
2: that's not the message. The message is he tried to screw with Mickey Mouse. And anybody who tries to screw with Mickey Mouse is toast.
1: That would be a better message for Donald Trump right now, to be honest. Although I wouldn't be attacking DeSantis to begin with for the reasons I noted.
2: I, I oh just boy. I, I, DeSantis, you... DeSantis is sure yeah. pissing me off. Oh. All
0: right, sorry. That's a great
2: that ad. Excellent. Donald Trump is Mickey Mouse. Can you imagine <laughs> Donald Trump with
0: ears? Going <laughs> oh I just mind. I was oh yes, Donald <laughs> Trump's wearing the ears, and you get the whole voice, and it's like, he's gonna are vote for this guy. He's a real loser. Oh, a
2: right. Huge loser. Real, really strongly <laughs> loser. He's a strong, oh, he's got some real
0: SDE, this guy. Fuck him. All right. <laughs> anyway, we're done. We're done with this topic. Moving on. Moving on. All right.
1: At least you switched it to Disney World because I'm pretty sure in Paul's diatribe, he was conflating the current story with the Stormy Daniels narrative. So I'm glad we got off that a little
0: bit. Hey, who wants to cut Ron DeSantis and leave him in a ditch? Huh? <laughs> All right. I'm done. I'm absolutely done. Uh, I'm not doing it anymore. I oh my gosh. For That's once, sandy. it's not me with the voices. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Can we talk about something super serious? Not nearly as entertaining as a, a rat beating up on a governor.
1: It's a mouse, by the way.
0: Whatever. Look, we have a road, road. problem in New Hampshire road. and in Florida, okay? Well, let's talk about the debt ceiling. I No one wants to talk about the oh, debt ceiling, funny. but... Uh, oh, that's really fun. What we, that's what we exciting like as property the,
1: as tax structure in Florida.
0: The Republican stupidity bomb. This is the attempt by the leaders of the House of Representatives to absolutely explode the American economy for no discernible reason. Sounds fun. So we saw an interesting kind of thing blow up over the past few days where... Democrats took a deep breath. They took stock of the fact that, unexpectedly, Kevin McCarthy managed to hold his caucus together, vote for something, some kind of a bill on the debt ceiling, and now it's kicked back into the the political realm. And there's something interesting going on here where the U.S. House is about to go on a recess. They're going to be out for a week. That means members of Congress are about to go back to their districts. And what you typically see... Or when in the run up to a recess, is both parties start road testing messaging strategies because they know they've got 435 message deliverers back home in their districts talking the talking points that both parties want to deliver. And then they see how it lands and they get feedback. And they actually, they really do ask you went back to your district, you talked to constituents, you gave our talking points, how did it go? And they want that kind of feedback. So both sides are pushing messages around the debt ceiling right now the Democrats are shopping a new one, which is Republicans are voting to, let me see if I can get this right, hurt veterans, threaten education, cut border spending, and kill jobs because they want to get rid of green energy tax credits. Paul, do you remember this kind of a process? Like you'd go on recess and the leadership would hand you, this is what you need to say and tell us how it goes. Like, how did you feel I, about that kind of thing?
2: Look, I remember what we do is the each party has a caucus, and there are caucus meetings at which the party leaders get up and flog whatever they want to flog. The members get a free breakfast, and after all, that's all that counts on Capitol Hill is free food. No matter what the event, free food is what counts. So you go to the caucus for some be, for some soggy scrambled eggs and and really old hash browns and you're sitting there eating your indigestible breakfast and the leadership says okay so we're going to go on recess and there's a little bit of a murmur over the eggs and here's what we want you to talk about because we've got the debt ceiling crisis we're going to give you a whole string of basically epithets that you can fling at the Republicans. And we want you to fling them at your constituents and see what sticks. Do eyebrows raise when you say, cut student loan, cut Pell Grants? Or do they all chuckle and nod approvingly when you say, cut border guards, because that's a real mind twist. How do you figure that the Republicans are so off the rails that they want to cut the border guards? And then the leadership communication chiefs get together with the communication chiefs in each of the offices and say, here are the talking points for your boss. He's got to use them." I would say, 12% 12% of members of Congress go back to their districts and use the talking points. Most of them read the talking points and say, hey, not really, not for my district. My district is different because my district cares about X, Y, and Z. My district doesn't really care about this. If I spend all the time talking about the debt limit, they're just gonna, they're gonna go vote for my opponent. It's just not, it's not worth it. The messages never work. Whatever the leadership dreams up doesn't work. So there is a conundrum for the leadership of each party in terms, because they also know that their members aren't inclined to use their messaging, which is generally national messaging, when the members of Congress need to know the constituents want to talk about potholes and road salt and really important issues.
0: And just to underscore, not to get Like into the weedy weeds here. But you know, what you were referring to before about the communications chiefs from both parties, they will measure this stuff. They will lean on the staffs to say after the recess, how many radio hits did you get? How many TV hits? How many placements in local newspapers? Nowadays it's a lot more social media based and they can track that themselves. But they really want to they want to know from a metric standpoint, are you disseminating these messages and how did it go? And they pay attention, they really do recalibrate. So all I'm suggesting is that. It will be interesting to keep an eye on the messaging from both parties around the debt ceiling after the congressional recess period ends and who's recalibrating. Because if you're recalibrating, it means the first thing you offer didn't work so well. Alicia, what do you think? Is the Democrats' messaging strategy likely to get any traction here?
1: We don't need as many border agents as we have. We can cut them because according to the current White House, illegal immigration is down 90 percent under Joe
0: Biden, Yet which is silly. St- for the Biden administration,
1: <laughs> which is just preposterous, and we all
0: know it. Look, I don't think this Whoa, whoa, whoa I'm sorry. Wait, hold on. Hold on. I'm not, I'm not letting you get away with this. It's preposterous, and we know it. Why is it preposterous? Why, Why is that number false? Because we see pictures. Here's what. Here's where they get the number. Wait, whoa, whoa, where they get the number? Whoa, whoa. I'll tell you You're where they get A couple of leaves and describe the forest because you've seen
1: pictures of illegal immigrants. Here's where they get the 90%. You ready for this?
0: Yes, I do want to
1: know. They get it because all these people, and you guys know as Republicans go, I'm pretty soft on amnesty
0: and things like that. As so Republicans I actually, go, you support. are a virtual teddy bear.
1: Right, thank you. But what they're doing is they're taking all the people coming over the border, they're applying for asylum, they're assigning them however it works, whether it's a court date or a detain, or you can go out, come back in and meet with us. And they're saying because- They got their name down and they did that process, which is actually the amnesty process in the United States of America. They don't count in that number of illegal immigrants. That's how they're doing it. But here's the thing. Those numbers, that's not how they counted it when they're looking back at previous administrations. So they shift the algorithm as to what they're counting as an illegal immigrant. That's what they did. And so whether I agree or disagree with how the southern border is going right now, they're Rigging the numbers to make it look good. It is no different than it was two, three, four, five, seven years ago. It's just uh, not.
2: And uh, the numbers. Uh, can you believe it? Can you? So believe
1: when it? they come out with messaging uh, like this, what they do is they tell the voter, "I think you're really stupid, and you're not going to know that I'm making up the numbers and I'm making them look good for you, and you're not going to know this because you're dumb." And you know what the voters say? "I'm not as stupid as you treat me." So uh-huh. I think this messaging is stupid. Now, where I agree with Paul is what people should be talking about. It is potholes. It is grocery prices. It is inflation. It is mortgage rates. It's all of those things that affect our daily lives. I used to be annoyingly famous within the incredible dork society of communications, Republican consultants in New Hampshire, because one of the you, first, things- first
0: first step, you've got to workshop that title. It's awful.
1: Yeah, it really is. You're good at that. You can come up with something for me. Do you what know what I used to do? With, specter? What I used to do with every con- congressional candidate I ever worked with when I was the chief comms consultant with them
0: beat them would, to a pulp until they did their call time?
1: That wasn't my job. That was the person who had to raise money. I just got to spend it. But what I would make them do is. I'd make them go on a coffee shop tour. And no, not the kind with media. No, not the kind where you actually put people that are gonna support them anyway in there. Not for photo ops. I would make them spend a day going to coffee shops at peak times, sitting down at a coffee bar and talking to the person next to them. Tell them who they are and listen to them. I made them do the same thing at a bar after work. And that is how you find out what people are talking about. Not think tanks in Washington, not pods of communication directors. And almost every single time that congressional candidate would come back to me and be like, yeah, we got to change what we're talking about on this issue, because what they really care about is this. And it was the most important lesson a candidate can learn is get out there and talk to regular people.
0: Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I just want to come in on the point about legal border crossings. This isn't all like a data phantom, right? Even if you look up back in January, there was a very specific policy change that Democrats on the left criticized to not allow asylum for certain categories of migrants. And indeed, your migrants cross the border from those countries. So there is an actual decrease now, whether they're getting extra credit for a, a, the way they count I don't know. That's pretty in the weeds, but there is a decrease in border crossings. But do you
1: really think there's a ninety de- percent decrease in people coming over the southern border? There,
0: there is a substantial decrease. Wow. There is there, that is a true fact. The, in in January, the number of Cubans, Nicaraguans, Haitians, and Venezuelans caught crossing illegally fell ninety seven percent. Yeah, that is something that is happening. If you want to quibble with, oh, some of this shouldn't count because blah blah. Okay, fine then you account for why it was so freaking high during the Trump administration. Maybe it was all the caravans. Maybe the Fox News caravans came to get all I'll of I'll tell them. you why oh, it was high during the Trump administration. I forgot about the fact that Fox News only cared about caravans in the week leading up to the 2018 midterm elections. And then after the midterm elections where they got trounced, All of a sudden, coverage on Fox dropped like 96%. There's a 90% drop for you because they do not give a shit about this issue. They only care about scaring white old people, about scary brown people coming from the southern border. Oh, no, they're coming from Mordor to kill us. Yeah, this is a- You said
1: tell you why why the caravans were coming in under Trump? Yes. The same reason that people are coming in under Biden, the same reason they did under- Obama, same reason they did under Bush, because for 30 years Congress has failed to do anything constructively to address the
0: issue. That's why Republicans, Democrats, all of it. So what you're saying is everywhere around the world, they're coming to America. Everywhere that flag's under
1: America.
0: They're coming to America. One more topic. You got a Neil Diamond everything. Yeah, we you got a Neil Diamond everything. That sounds like a horrible euphemism. It's like something that Mickey (laughs) Mouse is probably doing to Ron DeSantis in a back alley right now. So let me go from a topic that people find pretty dry, the debt ceiling, to a topic that people find even drier, but is also super consequential. The fact that we've had three out of the four biggest bank failures in American history in the last couple of months. Did you know that that's an actual thing? The most recent one was JP Morgan. They came in and they bought First Republic Bank in California, which was failing. And Elizabeth Warren was highly critical because it's a big bank getting bigger. Paul, you are a former U.S. congressman. You were a former member of the Financial Services Committee. You lived through and helped govern our country through the Great Recession and the collapse of Wall Street last time. Is Elizabeth Warren right that J.P. Morgan buying a bank and preventing a massive bank failure is a bad thing?
2: So Elizabeth Warren is whining because she doesn't like the idea of big banks getting bigger because that theoretically stifles competition and makes them too big remember the words too big to fail is jp morgan too big to fail apparently because they had the billions of dollars to buy first republic the challenge the challenge to elizabeth warren in this case is that there's no taxpayer money at risk when jp morgan steps up to buy another huge bank and not only buying their assets, but also buys their liabilities. And the they must be able to assume their liabilities and be looking very long down the road in terms of whether or not they're gonna make their money back. The essential point is that no taxpayer money is at risk here. Now, would they so do- what you're,
0: what you're saying, Paul, is that Democrats out loud make tisk about, oh, a big bank right. is getting bigger. But privately, they're like, thank goodness we're not entering another banking crisis. They're secretly no, happy about this. They're secretly
2: happy because they don't, have to, they don't have to explain to their constituents, we've put all your tax dollars at risk by the federal government having to figure out a whole new set of programs to support these banks. It's a private entity. It's a private bank. It doesn't solve the deeper issues about deregulating the banking system. It doesn't solve the issues that have may have resulted in the failure of these banks in the first place.
0: Uh, Alicia, I assume that Republicans are in the same boat. They may make mouth noises for their own politics, but fundamentally, they're happy. Or maybe they want a banking crisis. Do they want the economy to collapse? I think they do.
1: I don't think they want the economy to collapse. And I am in no way in the pot of expertise to discuss banking finance in America. That's just not anything I would pretend to know enough about to comment on. What I will comment on is... Most Americans are with me on that. but So what I will comment on is what it feels like when you hear another bank go under, when you hear the world's biggest bank buys up, the second biggest bank fail in history. It goes to the overall vibe a lot of us have in this country right now that economically things aren't going well. Doesn't matter what the issue is. It's just part of this inflation. always oh, a recession on the horizon. Oh my goodness, banks are failing. It, it adds to this kind of aura of the country's going in the wrong direction. And that's what will matter in elections. And that's my takeaway from it. Because again, I, I neither I nor 90% of Americans can talk about whether Elizabeth Warren's right or whether Joe Biden's right on this bank takeover. But what we do know is bank failing is bad.
0: Bank failing, look, this is one of those, you're totally right, Alicia. This is one of those abstruse issues that Americans do not understand, not because they're dumb, just like they don't, I don't this is not their it. thing. They don't care. And it's a little bit like the debt ceiling that we were talking about a minute ago. It's it's interesting. If you look at polling, it'll say you get these results, like this Republican poll came back from the American Action Network. They're actually, they're a very legitimate polling operation. They're a not-for-profit. And they did a poll saying that 50% of voters in battleground house districts opposed raising the debt limit without cutting government spending. If you could wade your way through that last sentence, you're in a very small minority of Americans because I think these are the kinds of issues that people are like, huh, are bank failures bad? Yes. Are big banks bad? Yes. Do I like more government spending? No. Do I want to cut the particular programs that I like? No. I mean, it's, it's all how you present it. I think Paul is totally right that at the end of the day, I think Democrats are just happy not to have a major financial crisis. That's the bottom line. All right. On that note, we will report back to you next week on whether Mickey Mouse has actually managed to eviscerate Ron DeSantis live on the Mickey Mouse Club. That would be that would be primetime viewing. I would definitely sign up for that.
2: Ron DeSantis, your pants have fallen down. Oh, Ron. I'm going to work on a
1: Donald Duck imitation for next week, too, while I'm at it. That would
0: be amazing. Mm. That would be absolutely amazing. (laughs) Oh, boy. I I sure like seeing you bleed, Ron. Mm Woohoo.